We turn again now to the reading of his word, God's word, Ephesians, chapter 5 this morning, Ephesians 5. Our theme in this sermon series lately is what I'm calling the habits of grace. Indeed, it's become something of a habit, Sunday after Sunday, to remind you of that and to remind you of what it is that we're exploring these days. The Christian life that we're called to live, it is a life that is all about the experience of the grace of God. And lo and behold, we experience that grace in part as he blesses our own regular efforts, our own habitual rhythmic efforts to seek and serve him, as he has called us in his word, the habits of grace. And lately in our series, we're focusing on the elements of worship that make up our church services on Sunday mornings. What exactly is it that we do as a matter of routine between 9 a.m. and 10.20 on Sunday mornings? Because those are habits in their own way. And last week, the particular habit that we focused on was Christian baptism. Not only is that something we do in the worship service, we administer that sacrament whenever we've got a new disciple in the ranks, but also it's something that becomes a habit of mind for the Christian to see himself, to see herself as a baptized person, which pays off spiritually Day to day, we talked about that last week as well, because that self-awareness of our own baptism can make us strong in the face of temptation, can make us shrewd in the face of lies. I'm baptized. So baptism happens in the worship service, and then we take it with us into the week, into a lifetime. So that was last week, baptism. That brings us to this week, singing. What is it that we do as a matter of routine between 9 and 10.20 on Sunday mornings? Well, one of the very first things that we do in our worship service is to reach for our hymnals and sing together. That's one of our habits, too. We sing, and not just at the beginning, but all through the service, we sing. Why do we? Why is that a part of our worship service? What do we sing for? Well, Ephesians 5 is a very good place to turn to learn about that, to hear from God about that. So that's why we're going to these verses in Ephesians 5. And and while we're turning there, as we're getting ready to hear those verses, I do want to say this as a kind of preface. And I want to underscore this, especially because lately in the series, not just this Sunday, but for several Sundays, we're thinking about what we do in worship as a church. There's a reason why we do everything in our worship service on Sunday mornings. And that one reason is we believe that God has said in his word that he wants it to be a part of his worship service. Whether explicitly or implicitly, we believe that God has said in the Bible that he wants this thing that we're focusing on to be a part 
of the worship service. You may be aware of this terminology, this label. You may not. If it's new to you, that's fine. But traditionally, that principle is known as the regulative principle of worship. That's the terminology. That's the label that's usually stuck on it. The idea is that the elders of the church, we have the right and responsibility to order the worship service that we all participate in on Sunday morning. And we elders do not have the right. We do not have the prerogative to put anything in the service that we don't believe that God has actually called for in his word. The regulative principle of worship. It's not enough to say that something's not forbidden in the worship service. The standard's higher than that. We've got to be able to make the case that the Bible positively warrants it. Again, whether explicitly or implicitly. The regulative principle of worship. It's like what Moses said to Pharaoh before Pharaoh let the people go. And Moses said to him several times, let us go that we might go worship God. And this is, this is how Moses says it, Exodus 8, verse 27. He says to Pharaoh, we must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. Exodus 8, 27. For the people of God to come together to offer up the sacrifice of their corporate worship of God, the very thing that we're doing right now in this room, we sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. And that's because God gets to say. We can't just make it up. And that's because God alone rules the conscience of the worshiper. The elders do not. God gets to say. God gets to rule. The regulative principle of worship. All that to say, when we turn to Ephesians 5, as we're doing right now, to learn about singing, we're not just learning about singing. We're also learning to sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. And so we're, we're listening, we're leaning into this word in that spirit as well. So listen now to God's word. Ephesians 5, we're going to focus on the passage beginning at verse 18, but let me back up just a few verses to verse 15, and I'll start reading there. The Apostle Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, And for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. So those words from Ephesians 5. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul who wrote these words. We thank you for the Spirit who wrote these words by Paul. And so would we hear them this morning as your voice addressing us today. Like Samuel of old, the boy Samuel, we say, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last summer, last August, Henry and Philip and I went on this great road trip to Syracuse, New York. And no, it had nothing to do whatsoever with visiting colleges, though I'm sure Syracuse is a fine institution of higher learning. But no, the reason we went on that road trip was to see Dermot Kennedy in concert. And it was awesome. Dermot Kennedy is an Irish singer-songwriter, and he's got a devoted following here in the U.S., and it was an amazing concert, in part because they held it in this beautiful, historic, restored theater there in the heart of Syracuse. The theater alone was breathtaking, and the concert was even better. It was electric. And one of the things that made it so great was the way that theater full of 3,000 people sang together. And I mean with one voice to every one of his songs. It was electric. And understand, this is a guy whose songs already have a kind of driving passion to them. And he's got stage presence for days. So to hear that theater full of 3,000 people singing together with one voice, song after song, chills. And not only that, but, and Dermot Kennedy would be the first to admit this. This guy isn't some super, superstar here in the U.S. This is not somebody they're going to ask to do the Super Bowl halftime show. But what that means is that the people who are devoted to his music here in the U.S., it makes it even more special for them when they get together. And we weren't the only ones who traveled quite a ways for that concert. It makes it even more special to come together to see him on stage and sing along. Because there's this sense in the theater that they're part of something that not everybody understands. They're clued in. So I've added several of his songs to the playlist I listen to when I go running now. And I'll admit, I get emotional now. Hearing those songs while I'm running. Why? Because I'm carrying with me now, 
even when I'm alone, I'm carrying with me the memory of 3,000 people singing those songs with one voice, with their hearts in it, because of what it meant to them to be together and to experience that together. I've done a lot with music over the course of my life. That, for me, may be the most vivid, earthly illustration of the sheer power, not just in the moment, but the lasting power of people coming together and singing together with their hearts in it. And for me, it's just further proof that God made us this way. God designed us in such a way that there's something powerful about the experience of singing together. Well then, is it any wonder that God has also designed the church's worship service so that it includes that same experience? God made human beings to sing together. Well then, is it any wonder that he's remaking his people into a new humanity of worshipers who do the very same thing? who sing together. Of course he is. Grace perfects humanness. And it's beautifully, gloriously human to sing together. Grace perfects humanness, and we are the people of the grace of God. And that grace becomes our habit. So this morning, we're turning to Ephesians 5 because it's here in Ephesians 5 that Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus and elsewhere to sing together. That's verse 19 here in our passage today, and it's printed there in your bulletin. But I do want us to notice notice what Paul says around verse 19 because verses 18 through 21 are one sentence that Paul wrote. Verses 18 through 21. So let's read it that way. Let's read and think about the whole passage. Paul tells them to sing in verse 19, but he tells them that in connection with some other things, and the connections matter. So take a look at what Paul has to say here, beginning with verse 18. Look at verse 18, and I realize this may be a jarring way, what Paul says here in verse 18, to get ourselves into a subject like singing that is sweet and glorious. Verse 18 is a jarring entryway. Because what does he say in verse 18? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So there's the contrast. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 is a tale of two fullnesses. There's a kind of fullness that makes us careless, makes us reckless, that is sin and leads to sin, and that's to drink too much so that your judgment's made cloudy. But then there's another kind of fullness that leads to holiness, and that's to be filled with the Spirit which is just another way of of talking about being filled with the Word and that Word being blessed to you by the Spirit. 
We talk about being filled with the Spirit of God. There's nothing particularly mystical or mysterious about it. It's just a matter of being filled with God's Word in the mind and the Spirit then fully, richly, abundantly blessing that Word that you know to your heart. So that's the idea. That's the contrast. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there is that that holy fullness that he's calling them to pursue and experience and exhibit. Verse 18. And then what Paul goes on to say in the verses that follow is to unpack what that good fullness, that holy fullness looks like when you're filled in the best way possible. In other words, when you're led by the Spirit, as you're filled with the Word, well, what's that going to look like in your life? What's that going to mean for you practically? Well, sure enough, in the verses that follow, Paul gives us some examples. He unpacks this. He fleshes this out. And the very first thing that he mentions is singing. Singing together. Look at verse 19. He says, addressing one another... In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 19. So, people of God, he's saying, sing together. Sing as the people of God. Sing as the body of Christ. And even that statement there in verse 19, let's unpack that. Notice these different things that Paul says there about our singing. First of all, he refers to Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So as Paul thinks about the singing life of the church, he he strings together these different terms that capture the fullness of it. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's not giving us discrete, airtight classifications of musical compositions. This is just Paul's way of saying that we ought to be a people who sing a variety of compositions to God, including incorporating the Psalms of the Bible. Our repertoire ought to run the gamut. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's that. Notice as well, he says, addressing one another When we sing together, as we already have today and we're going to again, we're actually addressing one another. We don't usually think about it that way, but that's going on. The words that we sing, we're singing to each other in the room as a way of building each other up in the truth that we're expressing. There's that horizontal dimension to our singing. We're not performing for each other. It's not that. So this isn't a matter of trying to be musically or vocally impressive to one another. It's not that. But we are seeking to be a blessing to one another in the room. To hear brothers and sisters around you singing. That has the powerful effect of reminding you that you are not alone in this. Not alone in believing these things. Not alone 
in praising this God. Just to be able to see on the printed page the names of the people who wrote these hymns and songs, whether last year or a thousand years ago, that has a similar reminding effect. You're not alone. This is something that we share among ourselves as the people of God, even throughout the ages as the people of God, as well as lifting up our songs to God, addressing one another. Notice as well, again, thinking about singing, verse 19, he says, to the Lord, to the Lord. That's the main thing, isn't it? We may be addressing one another, which we just noticed. But the main thing is we're singing to the Lord. We're singing to the Lord Jesus. There is the horizontal dimension, addressing one another, but it's the vertical that matters most by far. We're singing to the Lord. And, and make no mistake, that's true whatever the theme of the hymn or song or psalm might be. If it's about the Lord himself, but also if it's about our sin. Or if it's about his grace as the remedy for sin. Or if it's about the church. Or if it's about our future hope. Whatever the theme is, we're we're singing to the Lord. And that's because the Lord himself has given us his word in which he has said all of those things to us. Above all, he's made a revelation about himself, but he's also taught us about ourselves and our sin, and his grace, and the church, and the world, and our hope, and all of it. Well then, our life of singing should reflect to him. We should be lifting up to him that same richness of truth. We sing to the Lord. And then one more thing to notice about our singing, again, still verse 19, is that we're to do so, Paul says, with your heart. Notice he says that too, with your heart. We ought to sing as an expression of what's in our hearts and not just go through the musical motions, which is a temptation. And so if you find that your heart's cold when you're singing, that's something to deal with. That's something to pray about. And indeed, singing itself can be one of the means that God uses to warm your heart. Just doing it with your heart. So verse 19, when you're filled in the best way possible, which is to be led by the Spirit as you're filled with the Word, what's that going to look like? What's that going to mean? Well, it's going to mean that we sing together as the people of God. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So that's one aspect of what it looks like to be, to be filled in the way that we ought to be singing. But then notice the next one. In verse 20, after singing comes gratitude. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to be a people who give thanks. No surprise. And here again, take verse 20 and and get out your magnifying glass and, and, and notice what Paul says just in that verse about our gratitude. He says that we ought to give thanks always. Always. We should be constant in thanksgiving. The sound of gratitude ought to be the steady hum of our lives. And we should be persevering in thanksgiving. There's never a time in your Christian life when you take a time out from gratitude. There will be times when your gratitude is tear-stained because of what you're going through. But Paul does say in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances. If it helps, we can borrow some wedding words. We ought to give thanks in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, so long as we live. So that's one thing to notice. Give thanks always. Here's another. Paul says, give thanks for everything. Give thanks for everything. Remember what James says in James chapter 1. James writes, every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. James 1.17, every good gift. Or remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And that, that is a piercing question. That is a resounding question. Let that question linger and echo in your own heart and mind. The question, what do you have? that you did not receive. That you did not receive from God. And that's a good question to let linger and echo, even though it's a rhetorical question and we all know the answer. The answer is absolutely nothing. If you're a fan of Jeopardy, you can turn it around. The clue is, this is the number of your blessings that you did not receive from God. And you hit your buzzer and say, what is zero? What do you have that you did not receive from God? What do you have, what blessing, that you don't have cause to be grateful for to God? What is zero? Absolutely nothing, because it's all from him. So Paul says here, give thanks for everything. Here's another aspect of this gratitude in verse 20. What else does he say? He says, give thanks to God the Father. Give thanks to God the Father. This is what makes it real gratitude. What makes it real thanksgiving is that you actually give thanks to a person, and that person is your heavenly Father. Gratitude isn't just a sense that you've got good things. It's more than that. It isn't just a sense that you've got good things that you don't deserve. It isn't just a sense that some response is called for. It's more than that. It's saying thank you to a person, and that person 
is your heavenly Father. It's acknowledging the capital G, giver, of all your gifts. Giving thanks to God the Father. And then one more thing to notice about this gratitude in verse 20. Paul says that we're to give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mean, let's not get superstitious about this, that doesn't mean that you've got to say the phrase, in Jesus' name, every time you express your gratitude to the Father in prayer. But it does mean that all of the thanks that you give to your Father, you give as somebody who is in union with Christ by faith and who knows it to be true and who is receiving then all of the gifts of God with your eyes on Christ, with your faith in Christ. You're giving thanks as somebody who's trusting in Jesus and who's wanting to glorify him and who's even following the example that Jesus set because Jesus was grateful too. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus was grateful. And so when we give thanks to God the Father, that's part of what it means to do so in His name, in Jesus' name. We've got our eyes on Him. We're receiving all of the gifts of God with our faith in Christ, remembering that Christ went first, that He was grateful to, and He said so in prayer. So there's that one that goes along with our singing. Singing was verse 19. Now we've just noticed gratitude in verse 20. And that leaves one more, right? These different aspects of what it looks like to be filled. There was singing. There was gratitude. Here's one more, and it's submission. Look at verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, it ought to be true of us, and it will be as we're filled, that we have a proper regard for the authorities that God has placed over us, including in the body of Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's... Verses 18 all the way to 21, and I realize that is a wide-ranging passage. Paul covers a lot in there. He roams far and wide in those four verses. There's the reality of holy fullness, and then there are those different aspects of what that looks like. There's singing together, and there's gratitude to God, and there's submission to authority. There's a lot in there. But hopefully that fills out your understanding of just how rich and important it is that we are a people who sing together because of where that calling is situated here in this passage and the things that it's connected to on either side. It's so much more than just, it's a beautiful thing when we sing. Though it is. Think about the connections here. Think about these different fullness dimensions that we've noticed. Because you can imagine kind of drawing lines to connect them with singing. 
So connection number one, we can say that we sing together because we're filled. We're filled with God. There's a fullness in us that's practically begging to spill out of us. By the grace of God, there's so much in us, and it's got to come out. It's got to go somewhere. And it does when we sing. It's a way of, of breathing out the fullness of word and spirit that we have inhaled. So there's that connection. Connection number two, again, thinking about all of the pieces in this passage. We sing together because we're grateful to God. Remember the gratitude piece. Well, we can notice that connection as well. We sing together because we're grateful to God. Every Sunday we come here, we can be mindful of how God has taken care of us since we were last here. And that is practically begging to spill out of us as well. My God, give me some way to thank you today. And he does that by placing a hymnal in our hand and a song sheet in our bulletins. He says, you want to give me thanks? Thank me like this. You want to say thank you to me? Make it sound like this. Make your gratitude sound like this. And we do. And even that last connection as well, a third connection, we sing together because of that submission piece. Remember that in verse 21? We sing together because we submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, including in the church, including the elders of the church. Yes, it's the elders of the church who have ordered the worship service in such a way that we sing together when we come together on Sundays. And we've done that. We, your elders, have done that. We've set up the service that way in keeping with the Scripture. Because we're persuaded that ultimately God has called us to this as an aspect of his praise. Well, then, it is, in its own way, an instance of submission. It's an opportunity to submit to God-ordained authority to say, well, okay, let's sing then. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, yes, it's verse 19 in the midst of this passage where Paul says, sing But hopefully you can see why it matters to look around that verse. There's so much more here. There are connections here, and the connections are rich and good. And so this becomes the most glorious experience of what I was saying at the outset is something that's true of us as human beings made in the image of God. And we experience that in so many different earthly ways. I started out by telling you about that Dermot Kennedy concert last summer. That was so wonderfully human, and I'll never forget it. And now grace perfects and elevates and glorifies humanness. There were 3,000 people in the theater that night. I think, looking out at the room, we're just shy of 3,000 people here this morning, although, you know, who knows what's going on on Facebook. But the principles apply, thinking about that concert 
and what we do in this room on Sundays, including what we're about to do in just a minute or two. Thinking about that concert, it was, it was a powerful thing in that theater to sing together. So should it be for us on Sunday. And we should, we should come here with a sense of expecting that and looking forward to that. There was a sense of community and common cause and delight in that theater in Syracuse, New York. So should there be in this room. When we sing, we're giving expression to our common faith. There was a sense in that theater that those 3,000 people were singing to each other as well as with each other. So should it be for us in this room, addressing one another, says Paul. There was a sense in that theater that we're going to sing these songs because we understand even if most people in this country don't, even if the whole world doesn't, so should it be for us as the saints of God the holy ones of God, in an unholy world, we keep singing anyway. And now, as I said, I've taken with me the memory of that experience, even when I'm alone. In a sense, I carry it with me now as a part of who I am, even when I'm alone. So should it be for us as those who sing on Sundays and then who go our separate ways. We remember, even when we scatter Monday through Saturday, we, we carry with us, here's that sense of self-awareness again, we carry with us the sense of self that we are a singing people. And now I listen to those songs and I run to those songs and I sing to those songs, though it's hard to sing when I run and it stirs me and it tears me up and it keeps me running. So should it be for the Christian until we meet again and sing again. A few minutes ago, we heard this from Psalm 147. Remember this? It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. And a few minutes from now, we're going to sing this about singing from hymn 700. Then let our songs abound, and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. Let our songs abound. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that they do. Our songs do abound. We address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Above all, we lift them up to you in praise. Would you bless and strengthen and encourage us this day as a singing people? We thank you. Thank you that you've appointed it in your word that this should be one of the ways that we worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.